Hello, thank you for joining me on a new season of Humanities Radio. I'm Janet Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and this season I'll be in discussion with professors from across our college about their latest book publications. I'm currently sitting here with Jay Jordan, Professor of Writing and Rhetoric Studies, to discuss his book that describes and theorizes the intellectual, social, and material complexities of cross-border educational efforts called Grounded Literacies in a Transnational Wack-Wid Ecology, a Korean-U.S. Study. Thank you, Professor Jordan, for joining me today. Totally. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I feel like this book, before we kind of get into kind of the uh, specifics of it, kind of needs a little bit of a setup Mm -hmm. because you, as we were just talking about, you were in Korea for the University Asia campus opening. You worked there for or taught there for two semesters. I was there for two semesters, right? Okay. And so let's kind of give a little background to the book and why and when you decided you wanted to start this specific study in Korea. Yeah, I, I didn't actually go over with the idea with with this book in mind. I knew that I was probably going to do at some point some research that was related to the campus because it's just you know an occupational hazard in my field. Um, I knew that I was going to have something to do with student writing, and I've long had an interest. I mean, I'm, I'm a specialist in second language writing, particularly in English and mm-hmm. among international students. So there were a lot of reasons why going to UAC for the first year made sense, uh, but I didn't necessarily have this book in mind. What I had been doing was kind of at the time, anyway, I thought it was an unrelated project in which I was looking at um, rhetoric and, and language as two parts of larger wholes. I mean, in some ways, literal ecological wholes that, that you know humans travel in, whether we're just in our home communities or whether we're going somewhere else. It was a lot more theoretical mm-hmm. about language ecologies, for lack of a better term. When I got to Korea, I realized pretty quickly that there was a lot of stuff going on materially. You know, the city was literally being built around us, mm-hmm. as I relate in the book. And so I found myself really preoccupied with that. I mean, it was like a daily fact of life that, you know, this island was being built right. underneath us, while at the same time, my colleagues and I were trying to come to terms with what it meant to be the very first international campus in the history of the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And so we had students, we had books that we had to you know worry about getting we our our um, recruiting office was worried about recruiting new students so the more typical you know intellectual or curriculum or administrative stuff about mm-hmm. a university campus really became very closely connected to and enmeshed with those other considerations that I had already had on my mind in terms of my own scholarship okay. and so I pretty quickly figured out it was going to be difficult to tease them apart mm-hmm. So the book is titled Transnational Wackwood Ecology. Yeah. So let's kind of describe it. So WAC is writing across the curriculum uh-huh. and then WID writing in discipline. That's or right. Writing in disciplines. In disciplines, right. So can you kind of define what that those terms mean? Yeah. Those terms really refer to the idea that even though, say, in our Department of Writing and Rhetoric Studies, we teach a very large 
introductory writing course. You know, my parents knew it as freshman composition. Mm -hmm. It's a really common course to teach at a lot of U.S. colleges and universities. But one of the things we know is that that's not the only place where students write in their college careers. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, most of the writing they do is after they're finished with that course in whatever they major in. So there's a group of scholars who, for several decades now, have really been interested in exploring how students learn to write and how teachers teach writing in a wide variety of disciplines. I had already done a little bit of research on that, particularly in engineering, and uh, some colleagues of mine and I had done some faculty professional development and some teaching here on this campus in, you know, in, in nursing, uh, in business, and a few other parts of the university. So I was primed to be really interested in that. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed to me that the fact that that was, and still in a lot of ways is, a small campus, especially compared to the Salt right. Lake campus, meant that I had an opportunity to get a, a, a pretty up-close view of what students writing across the curriculum and writing in disciplines looked like. And it turns out that was true. It also mm-hmm. turns out that a lot of people, I mean, I said a lot of writing gets gets done across the curriculum. Right. We don't always know. We in, in a department like mine, those of us who are experts in writing studies, mm-hmm. don't necessarily know how it's taught. So it's always an opportunity for us to learn. So I focused a lot on students who were majoring in psychology and communication Mm -hmm. and learned, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, a lot of writing gets done in communication, but also an awful lot of writing gets done in psychology. Mm -hmm. So that was a great learning experience. And that's that's part of what I think is interesting about WAC and WID research. Mm -hmm. So walk us through your or your study and kind of your approach with the students as well and kind of how just kind of how you went through this whole study. Yeah, I was interested in trying to figure out what it was that students were encountering in different parts of the curriculum after that first year writing course. I kind of knew what that course looks like Mm -hmm. because I've taught it myself. I've trained teachers. I've helped develop the curricula over the years. I was really interested in looking beyond that. Mm -hmm. So I recruited students who were finishing that first year writing course or really the first year writing sequence and then who were getting into their majors. At the time, it was a very small number of students. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I started the study, it was probably we probably had a total student population of around 100 or something like that. I ended up with a very small group of students. And I, my research questions about what is it that they're encountering, how do they negotiate it, how do faculty members respond to their writing, led me to collect a few different kinds of data. Okay. I interviewed students. Primarily, I did that in a succession of research trips I took back over there. Okay. So I, I came back here to, to return to this campus permanently in 2015, but then I went back to UAC for research visits in May of 2016, 17, and 18. The the nice thing about that was the academic calendars for spring are just different enough between the two campuses that I could be finished here but then go over there and they would be in the middle of things. Mm-hmm. So it gave me a chance to see things as they were happening. So it was student interviews. It was some course observations. It was faculty interviews. And I was also interested in examining student writing. So all of those things together really helped form a picture for admittedly a very small group of students. But the fact that it was a small group of students and the fact that I did it for around about three years Mm -hmm. meant that I think I was able to develop a pretty rich picture of what happens in writing in those curricula between these two campuses. And 
I wanted to back up just a little bit because mm-hmm. one of the things that I found interesting in the book was that you had kind of talked about how you prepared for a certain type yeah. of student, but then you found them to be more educationally diverse than yeah. you had predicted. Yeah. And so talk about like kind of what you found and how that um, impacted their writing and maybe their challenges. I should have expected this, you know, being a scholar in second language writing and, and having a background in language acquisition, among other topics. I should have been able to predict from literature over decades that just because students are labeled quote-unquote international Mm -hmm. or quote-unquote ESL or second language Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that all of them are the same. Mm -hmm. I think, though, I had been a little bit fooled, and maybe my colleagues had been, going into Korea because while we institutionally didn't know a whole lot about Korea Mm -hmm. at the time, one of the things that we had, I guess, been sort of primed to expect is that it has the reputation of being a very homogeneous country. It is ethnically homogeneous, linguistically homogeneous. And so that meant that I think I was at least at some level expecting that students who were at UAC were going to be primarily Korean nationals, and and they were and still are, but that they were going to come from a pretty uh, single kind of a unitary high school background. I knew that they were going to be taking English throughout school, but I was kind of expecting that everyone would have learned English to a very advanced level, obviously, Mm -hmm. but in largely the ways that a lot of students still in the United States learn foreign languages like, you know, French, Spanish, German, Mm -hmm. Japanese, what have you, which is you go through language classes, you do these dialogues in class, you learn a lot of grammar, you learn a lot of vocabulary, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for, you know, spontaneous speech in a country where that language is spoken. Mm -hmm. There were certainly some students, even in the very beginning group, and we were just saying a few minutes ago before you started recording that the the first group of students was like 14. I mean, it was a really, really tiny group of students initially. Even within that group, there were differences, for instance, between students who had gone to Korean primary and secondary schools in Korea Mm -hmm. versus students who had gone to those schools but had also maybe done some learning abroad, Mm -hmm. usually in the U.S. or Canada. Versus another category of students who had gone to international schools in Seoul or maybe Singapore or somewhere else, which may have been multilingual. Mm -hmm. A lot of the instruction may have been in English. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there were linguistic differences because, you know, that that are based on the way they learned English. But there were also differences that were just as compelling and just as important, I think, that had to do with the ways they had come to understand what it means to be a student. Where traditionally in a Korean classroom, the idea is you're a student, you're listening to lectures, your job is to take notes as furiously as you can and internalize as much information as you can Mm -hmm. for very high stakes end of high school testing. In the United States, it's often different, particularly at a university setting, we tend to value a lot of classroom dynamic interaction, a lot of participation, particularly in like small writing mm-hmm. classes like mm-hmm. the ones we teach. So I think at least some of what we might have thought would have been, okay, these students, maybe they don't really have a high level of English proficiency. No, they all had, but some students were more familiar with the ways we were teaching okay. than other students were. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that had an effect certainly on how they, um, how how long it might have taken them to acclimate to right. UAC. 
there were some effects I think I noticed in the writing, but it's 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 sometimes the case that um, even if a student who can't isn't as comfortable speaking in class mm-hmm. as another student, that doesn't necessarily mean that student is not going to be a stronger writer. In right. some cases, that student may be an even stronger writer. Mm-hmm. It's just that as a teacher, you may have to look for that. You can't judge a student's language proficiency or even writing mm-hmm. on the basis of their spontaneous speech in class. So that's one thing, just like a major takeaway I took from that, is that we have to be really careful within any population of students, Mm -hmm. but particularly where I do a lot of work with international students, we have to be really careful about just kind of equating classroom engagement or classroom participation with spontaneous speech. Students may be highly engaged, but for whatever reason, they're not necessarily going to speak in class Mm -hmm. because they may still be translating what you're saying or what other students are saying, or because they may not think it is socially appropriate to speak up or ask questions in class Mm -hmm. because why would you do that when the very authoritative professor is up at the front of the class lecturing? Mm. Yeah. So there was kind of a a culture clash is kind of a cliche, but in some ways it's often more about that than it is about linguistic challenges. And so did that, uh, when you kind of uh, found that and when you kind of were engaging with those students, did that change your approach to your experiment or maybe change any of your research questions? It didn't necessarily change my research questions. One of the things that I was interested in in looking at, and I found this in a lot of the faculty responses, you know, I, I had identified a group of students who were participating, but then I identified faculty members to interview based on the courses those students took. So I was trying to hold on to that core group of students, but also opportunistically identify faculty members with whom they were taking courses. What that realization, I think, made me sensitive to was the ways faculty members were adapting themselves. Okay. So... If you go into that context with a pretty clear idea of, let's say, how to set up a student newsroom or something Mm -hmm. like that, if you're Mm -hmm. teaching a news writing course for communication, you may have to modify those expectations for these students Mm -hmm. um, because of maybe some of the linguistic challenges, but also because... It, there's already a big shift that may happen from a, a, a student's first-year writing course into, let's say, a news writing course. Mm-hmm. In a first-year writing course, the idea is very broadly, very generally, you're learning about some approaches to research-based writing. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a news writing course, things get a lot sharper. You have to use a particular style guide. You have to focus on very quick turnaround publications. Mm -hmm. So there's already a big shift that happens from that first-year writing course into news writing. For some of these students, there were two shifts that had happened. There was a shift that happened from their high schools where there may not have been much focus on writing Mm -hmm. or where the writing – and this is still true in a lot of Korean secondary schools – is still very expressive. It's very Mm -hmm. poetic into that writing that's required the research-based writing into a first-year writing course. That's already a big shift. Right. But then from that into news writing is yet another one. And there were there were different kinds of writing that the psychology students were encountering, but it was a similar double shift. Right. So what I found myself doing was focusing, yes, on the students' 
responses to what faculty members were asking. Mm -hmm. But I also found myself focusing more on how the faculty members were responding to student writing, Mm -hmm. but then also how they were talking through the kinds of adaptations they needed to make given the linguistic and the cultural context. Mm -hmm. So talk about a little bit about kind of your outcome from this experiment and what you're hoping for or already implementing moving forward. I think one thing that I would, I, I, I don't know that we've necessarily seen this, but I would love to see more of is more cooperation and collaboration among faculty members and among departments that are operating at Mm -hmm. UAC. Mm -hmm. What I was hoping was that this kind of research would call attention to some of the often uh, very complex expectations for student writing and might create an impetus for faculty members, you know, in in writing and rhetoric studies Mm -hmm. and psychology and communication in uh, in engineering and games and the mm-hmm. other majors that are now operating on that campus to get uh, to get together. I mean, like, you know, face to face and actually have some development opportunities that are based on my students are doing this in my class. How does that track with what your students are doing? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Even in a small, uh, a relatively compared to this, you know, faculty cohort here at the, at, at the Salt Lake campus, which is uh-huh. massive. Especially compared to it, it's it's small, but there are still some challenges with doing that. You know, it, it can still be really difficult to get people across different departments to sit together around a table, whether right. it's you know virtually or or face to face. I'm still hopeful about that, and I'm still you know I went back last year to do a, a very brief professional development workshop. I would mm-hmm. still love to do more of that, mm-hmm. but I would also love to do that on on this campus. Right. You know, um, I know one of the questions that you had shared with me was uh, about my description of writing as a privileged literate activity. Right. Yeah, and right. so I may be anticipating what you're asking about okay. that. No, but um, but I think that what I mean by that is that I, I mean a couple of things. Um, first, you know, even though there have been a lot of changes in digital technology, a lot of different ways now that we can all compose that we didn't have access to 20 or 30 years ago, mm-hmm. So writing looks different, but it's still writing. There is still a need to create, you know, mm-hmm. content through writing. It's it is still um, more easily circulatable than speech is, right. even though digital technologies have mm-hmm. made things a little bit less expensive to do that. It's still kind of uh, uh, the the coin of the realm in a lot of fields. The other reason it is is it's still in a lot of professions and a lot of fields and a lot of academic disciplines, it's still a thing that really holds the identities of those professions and disciplines together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, learning how to do effective presentations, I, I would not deny the importance of that. Yeah. Learning how to use digital media and the implications of that, I would not downplay the importance of that. Mm-hmm. But I think writing is a thread that you can weave through a lot of those other practices. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what I meant by that. And it's it's why I wanted to focus on this, you know, with the students. And it's why I remain hopeful that this mm-hmm. kind of research can call attention to some of the complexities and maybe mm-hmm. encourage faculty members to collaborate more. Mm-hmm. And... Um kind of going a little bit off topic has and have you planned 
or has anyone planned to kind of do the kind of the same study, but when it comes to the transition from UAC to the Salt Lake City campus, and if they're, it, if the challenges become different when they come here and are more integrated into the Salt Lake City campus? There is some of that in the book. I was okay. really interested in looking at that. I, I, I didn't, I, I don't think I got as much of that sort of data as I might have liked to otherwise, okay. but I did, I was noticing some differences. One thing I noticed was that it's, and this is no fault of anyone's, at a campus like that, the kinds of things that you might think you need to prepare students for at the quote unquote main campus may uh-huh. not be the things they really need to be prepared for. Okay. Or the kinds of projections you might make about what students will will need and will do at that campus okay. may not be what students come over here needing and actually doing. So, for example, uh, you know, f- faculty members or courses over there might prepare students for the idea that. You know, the courses at the Salt Lake City campus are going to be a lot harder, a lot more rigorous, a lot stricter, where students may come over here and discover, actually, you know, it seems like there's more of a premium on how to work in a lab setting socially. This mm-hmm. is one thing that, that came up um, in, in, in the project with respect to a student interview and at least one interview with a faculty member, you know, okay. who was saying things like, I run a lab over here in my department, and I want students to be prepared, but they were noticing that students from UAC were coming into the lab and really, not that they weren't focused on the work, but it was just as important for these students to feel socially integrated into the lab. And what that tells you, it's not as if the faculty member or the student necessarily using this language, Mm -hmm. but I think what that tells you is that there is... That's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you are advancing your way through an undergraduate major and you're looking ahead to maybe go to graduate study mm-hmm. or maybe into a profession, mm-hmm. yes, the content of the learning is really important. Yes, the, the communication about that content is really important. But you also tend to pay attention to and need to pay attention to what it means to be as a member of that field. Right. And that was something that I think students were were realizing as they came over here and that faculty mm. members over here were realizing as well. Okay. So before we wrap up, there is one question I have that I am ending every single podcast with with all of our faculty members. Uh-huh. What does this world know now because of your research that they didn't know before? Well, I hope it's it's kind of an optimistic question. I mean, it's <laughs> right. like here's what you know, here's what you know. I don't know how many people have read this, um, but uh, my you know our books don't tend to circulate that widely. But what I would hope the world knows is that there is a lot more complexity to the identity of quote unquote international student mm-hmm. than it might appear to be on the surface. A lot of universities are used to thinking of internationalization or globalization, whatever term they use, as a matter of sending domestic students abroad or attracting international students here. And once that happens, you know, whatever happens next happens. I think that UAC is a great example of a a campus that was built maybe with particular things in mind, Mm -hmm. but then as students have moved back and forth between that campus and this campus, Mm -hmm. they've had a wide range of experiences that have really 
thickened the description of what those international student experiences, those international educational experiences mean. I also hope that what people learn is that much more about writing Mm -hmm. that, first of all, you know, just because we do have these required introductory courses in writing, that doesn't mean that you can possibly learn everything there is to know about writing in those courses. Mm -hmm. There's simply no way. So students will continue to learn how to write. I have graduate students who keep learning how to write. Mm -hmm. I had to learn some things again about how to write to write this book. Right. So we're always learning Mm -hmm. that because writing is a really, again, social activity, a very contextual activity. And so I would hope that, you know, the world does come away even with this pretty focused set of case studies Mm -hmm. with a richer idea of what it means to learn and teach writing. Mm -hmm. That was a wonderful answer. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, (laughs) Professor. Yeah, thank you. That was Jay Jordan, Professor of Writing and Rhetoric Studies. For more information about the University of Utah College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to Humanities Radio. Humanities Radio.